Similar to a well-tuned automobile, a guitar requires the same level of attention to perform at its very best. No matter how expensive your guitar may be, we will treat you and your instrument with the utmost respect. Call 920-723-1733 or visit jeffsguitar.com. Jeff's Guitar Clinic in Ford Atkinson, we love guitars. The attorneys at Jingris, Thompson & Walks have had the honor of receiving numerous awards for their work both in and outside the courtroom. But just as important as receiving accolades for being skilled attorneys, it's equally important to give back to the community in which they live and work. If you want a personal attorney that can help you in so many different areas, they've got them. They're in Eau Claire, Madison, Milwaukee, and Waukesha. They're easy to reach. GTWlawyers.com. That's GTWlawyers.com. Welcome to another podcast at SliceOffice.com, brought to you by the operating engineers, Local 139, and also our friends at the Madison Teamsters, Local 695. John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation with us. John, <laughs> it's been quite a week. <laughs> I know. It's kind of one of those where do you where do you know where to begin weeks, isn't it? Well, we could start with Mike Pence. Oh, yeah. Well, I... I I'd love to talk to you, Sly, but I can't do it. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> he really is a tragic man. He's a, he's an embarrassment. He's been an embarrassment um, throughout his political career. Uh, he is uh, probably the only person in history, at least the only person since uh, Ben or since uh, William Henry Harrison, uh, who decided to go to the White House uh, because he couldn't get uh, reelected as governor of Indiana. Which is fairness, when you're Harrison, Harrison wasn't governor, and when you're and when you're a Republican, it's kind of kind of a tough thing to pull off. You know, usually, that's pretty easy for a Republican to get reelected as governor in Indiana. Yeah, but if you'll recall, <laughs> he was he was such a lousy governor, such a you know just you know like he was the Jared Kushner of governors, <laughs> uh, completely incompetent. Everything he touched fell apart. Um, terrible, terrible on managing, uh, you know, health issues, but, but also remember he tried to like create some sort of, you know, like state sponsored, uh, you know, Soviet style communication system. I mean, just a mess of a mess of a guy. So he was in trouble running for reelection. And then the aforementioned Jared Kushner, uh, got word that Trump kind of liked the idea of having Chris Christie, who's actually competent, uh, as, vice president. And of course, Kushner hated Christie because Christie had prosecuted Kushner family members for their high crimes and misdemeanors. And Kushner, uh, behind the scenes, arranged to position Pence to be the vice president. Didn't they fake so, the airplane being yeah. broken down so Trump had to stay yeah. over in Indianapolis? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. But yeah, Paul Manafort true. was in on this as well. Yeah, yeah, the whole bunch. And, <laughs> and you know, one of the reasons that they turned to Pence was if you'll recall, this was at a point where not many people were lining up to be Trump's vice presidential <laughs> candidate. And, and so they had one guy who was vaguely competent, Christie, you know, who they, they didn't want. And they looked around and they found somebody who was willing to do it uh, to get out of a bad political position of his own. And then who they presumed would be fully subservient. Right? And, he, and he was. He was 100% subservient. He was. I write about him in my new book. I write, I've got a whole chapter on how he, you know, parroted the, the worst information about the pandemic. He was as bad or worse than Trump. So, I mean, totally a bad player. The only place 
at which he ever said no to them, right, or he ever kind of got in their way. I mean, he was quivering at the moment and, you know, and terrified to do it and, you know, taking his advice from Dan Quayle. Um, but the, the only point at which he said, well, no, let's give honest. Quayle credit. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Quayle is, oh, come on. Quayle, Quayle looks like a statesman compared to this crowd. Um, but, but the end result is that he did say no to him. And then here's the amazing thing. Glenn. It took him a year to say why. <laughs> well, let's, let, here's, here's the coverage of this situation. In a stunning public break with the man who was once his boss, former Vice President Mike Pence today rebuked former President Trump for pressuring him to overturn the results of the 2020 election. President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. That fiery criticism comes after just this week, Mr. Trump said about Pence he could have overturned the election. And frankly, there is no idea more on American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. The vice president could not have overturned the election. Still, Mr. Trump continues to push these false claims. The 2020 election was rigged. And everyone knows it. All of it happening as Republicans are pushing back on the two fiercest GOP critics of Mr. Trump in Congress. Today, the Republican National Committee voted to censure Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for joining the committee investigating January 6th when rioters stormed the Capitol. Every other Republican boycotted the committee, which is made up of virtually all Democrats. This is a pure political committee. Um, I think those two individuals would have a hard time ever coming back to Congress. As for Pence's comments, they appear to be the clearest sign yet he's seriously considering a run in 2024. Meanwhile, a Trump aide tonight telling NBC News Pence's comments are disingenuous and that Pence is just trying to become relevant. So that was Kevin McCarthy uh, bashing the committee. He has replaced Pence as being, you know, Trump's pawn in this whole thing. Um, I, let's give uh, Pence credit for one thing. I, I thought, I thought he actually delivered the lines pretty well. Uh, he made it kind of a, kind of a very direct point. He didn't really meander. Uh, so I thought it kind of, it, it, it kind of paints quite a contrast. He read the, he read the line as it was written for him. Mm -hmm. No question of that. This is a former um, talk radio host, by the way. Yeah. I was able to read notes. Uh -huh. Um, but well, not all talk radio hosts, I understand, but but can I just pause and, and say, though, uh, in the the report you played, the, the reporter referred to his speech as fiery? Yeah, I'm, I'm, he's about as fiery as an undertaker. I mean, literally, I mean, it's sort of like, it, it, there was, it, right after a clip in which he said, President Trump was wrong. <laughs> um, I can't state that passionately enough. Um, in his fiery speech, it wasn't a fiery speech. It was like it was honestly, it was like a hostage video. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, really good, you yeah, wouldn't put that up there with voice. fighting Bob LaFollette? No, I'm sorry, he wasn't up there with Ron Johnson. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Um, I know we will, but it was a terrible, terrible speech. Look, it sounded like it was given under duress, and with all due respect to Mike Pence. Uh, the man who it took a year to explain why he actually, you know, did what any fourth grade civics class student would understand you had to do, not overturn an election. Um, 
the, the tragedy of it was it was clearly written by committee. Um, he did not, uh, you could tell it didn't, it wasn't something that came, you know, deeply from his heart, uh, because it had the, the cheap political digs and lines in it. For instance, he actually says the right thing, give him credit for that. And then he says, and neither does Kamala Harris, right? You know what I mean? Oh, well, we'll get to that in a minute as well, but yeah. All right. I want, you know, you know who had, uh, you know, you know, actually had cause to do this. Al Gore in 2000, <laughs> you know, just imagine yeah. what Republicans would have done had Al Gore refused yeah. to accept the electors. Well, here's the bottom line. Al Gore won. Okay. Yes, he did. I mean, that's, that's, that's the difference. <laughs> the, the distinction here is that Donald Trump lost. Donald Trump lost by 7 million votes. Five states that had backed him in the previous election flipped to the other side. I mean, there was simply, there wasn't even a gray area. In, you know, it was absolutely clear that, that Donald Trump lost. The difference is Al Gore, Al Gore won the popular vote. It was clear by December, you know, when things came into play, that he had won the popular vote nationally. And probably and, won the electoral vote as well. <laughs> and almost certainly did. In fact, if you, you know, I, I ran the scenarios. I looked at what, you know, the newspapers in, in Florida ultimately ran scenarios on the election. And the fact of the matter is that if you counted every vote, and that included, by the way, not to deviate too far here, but that included votes, you know, where you voted for Gore and then you wrote his name in. In some counties, they disqualified those ballots because they said you voted for two. But the two were the same person. <laughs> and, right. you know, and so if you just went through the ballots and counted them with the intent of figuring out who people actually wanted, pretty good chance, good, good likelihood that Gore won. So all Gore wanted was a recount. Um, he gave that up. He, he, he stopped that fight for the good of the country. Um, now, I actually disagreed with him on that. I think he should have pursued it, uh, not through some kind of overturning things as a vice president game, but I think he should have pursued the recount in, in every avenue that he could have. Um, he chose not to do that. And um, did he get any respect for that from the Republicans? No. no. They, no. they ridiculed him through, onward. Um, and well, you know, I think, I think Donald Trump kind of learned a lesson from the end of George Bush's presidency, you know, where he was unpopular and Democrats took a beating. Donald Trump just realizes Republicans cast away people as losers. You know, if, if Donald Trump had been a gracious loser, he would have been cast away. Oh, he'd be, he'd be forgotten now. No, 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 no. He is, he is speaking to one of the, the sort of less discussed realities of the Republican Party, that it is, is a cabal that seeks power, right? Now, all political parties are that to some extent. It's just a question of how far you will go. The level, the level of yeah. cravenness is off the charts. And speaking of craven, here is Steve Bannon. Pence, no. you're going to you're going to carry this thing uh, eventually to your grave, okay? Because it is a mark of shame, and you are a stone cold coward, a stone cold coward. January sixth was a riot that was incited by Donald Trump. Uh, in an effort to intimidate Mike Pence and the Congress into doing exactly what he said in his own words last week, overturn the election. Well, there's Chris Christie and Steve Bannon. We kind of have the... Yeah, they are different people. Yeah. But can I just tell you something? With all due respect, I'm not a Bannon fan. I, in fact, uh, have written... You're not a Bannon fan? Oh, I would have I've taken written. you for a Bannon fan. I know. I've written somewhat cruelly about the man. 
um, uh, in in a couple of my books. But uh, with all due respect, who would you rather listen to, Bannon or Mike Pence? <laughs> yeah, I mean Bannon. He's an entertainer. Um, he's got theater to him, and it's very clear that the Republican Party uh, has chosen to listen to Bannon, not Mike Pence. The re- and just listen to how Bannon put that. Pence will carry this with him to the grave. <laughs> right? And, I mean, come on. They, they, they see themselves, the Republicans today, and I know they wouldn't know the actual you know, plays or the actual work, but they see themselves as in some sort of Shakespearean drama where you know you have all these like kings and knights coming out, you know, and declaring their 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 truth against power and you know blah blah blah. And I mean, they live in that fantasy world. It is it's you know it has more to do with you know Universal Comics and stuff like that than it does with with reality. Unfortunately, they have made it our reality. All right, in the tragic figure department of Republicans, obviously we have Pence, uh, we have Ted yep. Cruz, and then we have a person that. I'd say comes into third place. This is little Marco. Do you agree with Mike Pence? Well, if uh, President Trump runs for re-election, I believe he would defeat Joe Biden. And I don't want Kamala Harris to have the power as vice president to overturn that election. For years to come, there are... All right, here's, this, here's how Marco Rubio sounded in 2016. Many people on the right, in the media... And voters at large that are going to be having to explain and justify how they fell into this trap of supporting Donald Trump. Because this is not going to end well. We all have thrown this party into its most chaotic and divisive period ever. And that's unfortunate. Oh, he sounds like a prophet. He sounds like a prophet in 2016. Saw what was coming. (laughs) uh, But, you know, usually in the story of prophets and, and, you know, visionaries, they see what's coming. And the ideal thing is that they do the right thing. (laughs) Right. Well, you'll notice I said he sounds like a prophet, not that he is a prophet. Well, he was sort of prophetic, but he chose to do the wrong thing. You know what I mean? Like you see the the trouble coming, and you're like, oh, okay, I think I'm going to adjust to be a part of the problem. And, and, you know, look, Marco Rubio, honestly, he sums it up far better than, than the other people we're talking about here, Bannon or Pence or anybody else. You know, Rubio speaks for the heart and soul of the Republican Party which is, you know, completely without courage, completely willing to, you know, kind of abandon principle at, at whatever turn. And, you know, the reality is that, that, you know, Rubio's at the center of the Republican Party. He's the, he's the core of it right now. Um, the people on the fringe are, are folks like uh, Cheney and Kinzinger, who are, you know, speaking some truth, even maybe Elisa Murkowski or someone like that on one side. And then, and then yeah, you have the other side, which is the, you know, the full-on Trumpers, right? Well, the people who, you know, are, you know, kind of drooling Trumpers. But the vast majority of Republicans are about where Rubio is. They're it, scared and willing to bend to whatever they're told to do. Here is uh, Mitt Romney. What do you think of the uh, president, I'm sorry, the uh, RNC saying legitimate political discourse? It, it could not have been a, a more inappropriate message. Um, one, to sanction uh, two people of character, as they did, but number two, to suggest that uh, a violent attack on the seat of democracy is legitimate political discourse is, is so far from uh, accurate as to, as to shock and, uh, and, and make people uh, uh, wonder what we're thinking. Have you talked to your niece about this? Uh, we exchanged some of the texts. And, I mean, how did that go? I, 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 I expressed my point of view. 
Oh, I bet she's just shaking in her boots, huh? Yeah, but still, it is kind of like a good little. It, it, I, I think it it plays out our Shakespearean metaphor here, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, the the uncle who actually, whether you like him or not, you know, has at least tried to devote a life to public service. And then the niece, who is only, I mean, it, why why is she the the chairman of the RNC? I mean, you know, what what what's her claim on that on that gig? Um, and you know, it's, it's obviously she comes from the Romney family. That's that that was her in. Uh, she, it, I don't doubt that she has skills of her own, but but frankly, in a very dynastic Republican Party, that's been the key to to her rise. And yet, given a choice between. Uh, loyalty to her uncle and to her uh, grandfather and to others. Who, and, to her con- and to her country. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other issue. Um, but, you know, given a choice between loyalty to the principles uh, that the Romney family has historically stood for and loyalty to Donald Trump, um, she's, she's made her choice. She's with Trump. John Nichols from the Capital Times with us. And the nation will be right back at Sly'sOffice.com. I want to thank all the labor unions here in Dane County that help keep Sly'sOffice.com up and going so you keep up to date. Whether it be the Madison Firefighters, Local 311, or the Madison Teamsters, Local 695, or our friends at Madison Teachers Incorporated. These are some of the most active local unions who organize, 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 and constantly stand up for workers. Thank you from Sly'sOffice.com. When you're looking for a new computer or need help with one you already own, call 231-8000 and Madison Computer Works will get things up and running for you. Madison Computer Works, computers that work for you. We're back at Sly'sOffice.com, brought to you by Madison Computer Works and also Jeff's Guitar Clinic. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Wisconsin that really is kind of connected to this whole Pence-Trump thing. There is a state representative from the most right-wing part of the state. It always has been the most right-wing part of the state. Uh, From Campbellsport down to Hartford, Washington County, uh, Southern Fond du Lac County. I mean, it's the the Holy Land. Uh, Let's... uh, Oostburg is not included in this, but it easily could be. All right, state, state Representative Tim Rantham, from, who was born in Kewaskum. He's the guy that wears the bright red jacket on the floor of the assembly. Uh, this is from Channel 3. Rampton has twice tried to overturn those 2020 election results, despite party leaders telling him that's illegal. But that's been enough to attract Trump's attention, who continues to say falsely that the 2020 election was stolen. Frankly, it puts us in in dangerous territory. It's not uh, news when fringe politicians without institutional backing say they may run for governor. Until, that is, Trump tells them he would endorse them. That's the case for far-right-wing State Representative Tim Ramthun, according to an investigation from Rolling Stone News magazine. Ramthun, who was just disciplined by Assembly Speaker Robin Voss weeks ago. have the right, even though every lawyer uh, that we have worked with in Wisconsin says we cannot undo the 2020 elections. Um, you know, Representative Ramthun has that belief. That's his right. Ramthun has twice tried to overturn 2020 election results. He's appeared on multiple far-right-wing shows that have peddled false conspiracy theories about the election. His presence in a Republican primary for governor likely wouldn't draw major party backing, but Trump's endorsement could shape the conversation. Uh, If if this is what the debate in the Republican primary 
is about, it's going to involve candidates trying to out extreme each other and, and taking more uh, more fringe positions and more extreme positions. And that, that that's not good for anybody. Current candidates Rebecca Clayfish and Kevin Nicholson have both said they want to dismantle the bipartisan GOP created Wisconsin Elections Commission. For Trump, still trying to overturn the 2020 election, that's not been enough. We, we are seeing, in a sense, a battle uh, for the future of the Republican Party. Ramson has not responded to a request for comment on his conversations with Trump or a purported special announcement he has set for this weekend. <laughs> Okay, so have have you read the Rolling Stone piece about this guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're saying Wisconsin, in, in some respects, is the heart of the effort to overturn democracy. You know, that the right-wingers in Wisconsin are right at the forefront. Well, and, you know, they, there's some history on that. Look, we are the state that contributed Joe McCarthy to the American political discourse and uh, and then had the poppy comatadas, and, you know, we've 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 had some some history of extreme right activity. I would just invite you to uh, you know reflect on where the John Birch Society is headquartered, um, and so it's right uh, behind Woodman's in Appleton. It's still there. It's inappropriate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know it's uh, but the the bottom line is I, I think there's actually a number of ground zeros in the fight. I love Wisconsin. Wisconsin's my favorite state. Uh, but I think Michigan is a battleground. I think Arizona. I think there's very little question that that uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, some other states. So I mean, this is, I, I'd be a little yeah. That's where the states that. that are close. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, this piece about Trump calling him at home. You know, I can just oh, yeah. see Trump in Mar-a-Lago call, and this guy and his and his wife are like, oh, the president's on the phone. So so Trump oh, yeah. gets wind of this guy, who's crazier than a loon. His staffer gets fired by Robin Voss. He gets his staffer pulled. Then there's some sort of GoFundMe effort to, to raise a bunch of money for this staffer. They're making they're making Republicans in Wisconsin miserable. Then we have oh, yeah. then we have the Sheboygan Republican Party shunning Rebecca Clayfish over the weekend. So did this, the Jefferson County Republican This Party. is turning it this is turning into and because it's a podcast, I can say this a shit show. You know, I think that's the technical term for it. Uh -huh. um, and, um, but uh, although I do, you know, I also appreciate the more, you know, genteel term, car wreck. Um, and, but the bottom line is that what they're doing is uh, they are crashing the clown car. And, uh, and that's something that I think, I suspect that a lot of Wisconsin Democrats are, are going to, uh, who are, by the way, familiar with the demolition derby. Um, are going to attend with, with great delight. They're going to watch that, that Republican primary for governor turn into uh, a crisis. Now, the interesting thing about that is that uh, uh, the, the establishment is going to screw itself. Right? They're going to wreck themselves because they are still trying to push this idea of doing an endorsement, right? That the state party would endorse Rebecca Clayfish. That's, that's, uh, her desire, and that's what you're talking about with Sheboygan and other places saying, you know, coming out against the uh, Republican Party endorsement process. And, um, and you know, to be honest, if they do endorse her, she's finished, right? She will lose. Uh, because in, at this point, you tell me about the Republican grassroots. Do they like, you know, uh, the choices of the establishment or the elites of the party? No, 
They don't. <laughs> and and so um, I think right now Clayfish had established a strategy that she was going to be, she was going to say some extreme things, but really be the choice of the establishment, the Robin Bosses, people like that. Um, that's fallen apart. Uh, at this point, the party is in a very chaotic spot. I think they could have a four- or five-way race for governor, uh, including maybe Eric Hovde or somebody else jumping in. Uh, as, and, you know, there will be this race to be the most Trumpian in, in the country. Well, conference. Tim Rantham's, I think, got that one. <laughs> He's going to win that one. However, however, um, Clayfish isn't going to want to see that turf, right? Um, and she's proven to not be all that good. Um, I, I will, you know, point you to Kevin Nicholson's description of her, uh, of her intellect. Um, and uh, and so I think there'd be this kind of you know nastiness, this this banging around. What could happen in that race, which is fascinating, is that Hubby or somebody else could come along and you know do a little bow to Trump, but but position as, you know, kind of a relatively more distinct figure uh, and end up in a Glenn Youngkin position. And, and I'll remind you that Glenn Youngkin was not the most extreme candidate in the race for governor of, of Virginia. He's a pretty he he's a pretty skilled politician, though. I don't think any right. of these people in Wisconsin are particularly skilled. <laughs> well, I don't think it's going to be Kevin Nicholson because Nicholson's, you know, got a whole bunch of other things going on. They're, they're kind of a mess. But that's why I point to a Hubby or somebody like that who, and I'm not saying Hubby would necessarily be the answer, but I do think that as this race gets crazier, you're going to see somebody who calculates that they could come in as a Yonkin-style candidate and, and in a crazy Wisconsin primary win with 35% of the vote and uh, then obviously hope they can unite the party in the same way that Yonkin did in Virginia. Well, and there's going to be a very divisive race for attorney general where Eric Tony, the district attorney in Fond du Lac, is just yeah. getting pummeled by former Absolutely state representative good. Adam Jarko, who's going full Trump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jarko, you know, Jarko is sort of, I think, taking, you know, that the territory. Uh, and, and, I mean, I don't agree with the guy, but I will tell you this. I think he's kind of pretty close to pitch perfect for the Trump base. You know what's funny? Um, when you talk to him privately, he doesn't act like that. This is performance art. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Donald Trump was, Donald Trump was you know, he hung out at Studio 54 dancing. You know what yeah. I mean? He's like, came out of a, yeah. a world of gay rights. And, 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 and thought Bill Clinton's position on abortion was too conservative. Um, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, performance art is the, is the official art of the Republican Party at this point. Woo. Uh, let's talk about Ron Johnson because it would be interesting to see what role he would play in a Democrat in a Republican primary for governor and whether he would get involved in any way, shape, or form. He's not one to really hold back. No, he he does goofy stuff, but I suspect he would stay clear. Um, you know, it might be that his aides would have to, like, you know, wrestle him to the floor. Well, I'm not sure his aides have control of him, because I have to tell you, this is one of the craziest things I've ever heard a politician say. This is from uh, WKOW. Republican Senator Ron Johnson says he will not try to persuade a Wisconsin manufacturer to place more than a thousand new jobs in his hometown. It's not like we don't have enough jobs here in Wisconsin. The, the biggest problem we have in Wisconsin right now is... Uh, Employers not being able to find enough workers. 
That's what Johnson said about Oshkosh Defense's plans to locate the jobs in South Carolina. He said he supports more manufacturing jobs in the state, but that the company is best suited to make the call. Democrat Gordon Hinz, who represents Oshkosh, says Johnson's comments don't address the real issue. It isn't just about jobs, and this is where something like Ron Johnson really gets wrong. It's about quality jobs. It's about good-paying jobs. The 1,000 employees will manufacture next-generation delivery vehicles for the U.S. Postal Service. And, of course, you'd have all the tributary jobs as well. Have you ever heard a politician do anything as stupid as that? I mean, that's... No, it's distinct. It stands out. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 you're thinking it's stupid. And it is stupid, of course. You know, that's, that's baseline reality. But it's also part and parcel of and straight out of who Ron Johnson is. This is a guy who really, you know, he reads on Ron books and takes them seriously. Well, I'm not sure he really reads them, but he well, says but he someone does. Someone reads them to him. And, right. and he, he takes them seriously. And, um, you know, I mean. But, you know, that's to, nothing like Trump. Trump would never say that. No. Trump would do the opposite. Johnson is a delusional, the market, you know, so, so rule all. Remember, we, but Wisconsin has a terrible record of bringing federal tax dollars back to the. I know. So, so here's an opportunity. So here's an opportunity, and this guy's number one job as a U.S. senator is to represent Wisconsin, and he's saying, "Nah, nope, nope." No, this is a bigger. I'd rather go, I'd rather go on talk radio. Oh, I know. You know, and good luck with that. But this is a bigger deal than that. These are these are not just uh, the you know next set of trucks for the postal service. This is actually opening up uh, the whole uh, zone of electric vehicles and, and really kind of cutting-edge vehicles that are going to be the main forces of the future. And the Postal Service is one of the biggest vehicle buyers in the United States in the world. So the company that gets that, that contract and the company that produces it is going to be producing vehicles through thick and thin, through good times and bad, when the economy goes up and when the economy goes down for generations to come. And so Ron Johnson isn't just turning down one contract. He is turning down, you know, a chance to make Oshkosh, you know, really a center of vehicle production for, you know, for decades to come. It's, it's, uh, it's madness at a level. I mean, it, one of the things that strikes me about this is this hasn't even been covered. At, at the level it should be covered. This is like turning down Detroit in 1900, right? And saying, now nah, we don't want auto production in Detroit. That'll, you know, that's, that's not going to be good. Um, it's a really, really, really uh, just tone deaf. I mean, it, it's tone deaf to where the country's headed as regards, you know, what kind of vehicles we're going to have. And um, Oshkosh Trucks succeeded in getting that contract. Obviously, they want to. They know exactly what they've got. They want to move it down to South Carolina, where it's non-union, it's cheaper, less regulated, easier for them to get away with stuff. Um, it's but, uh, it's it, Nikki Haley's state. That's right. But we should be fighting like hell to have these jobs. This this should be mission critical. Job one, one. I will tell you, this is far more important than Foxconn ever was or ever could have been. This is a big, big deal, and it's not as many jobs, but ultimately. The number of jobs that will will extend from this is exponential, and so uh, really, I, I can't begin to emphasize that that Johnson isn't just wrong on the baseline of you know letting jobs go from Wisconsin. He is he is ignorant of the future of the economy and of the future of transportation, and and 
and on the wrong side of the question of whether Wisconsin is going to be a winner or a loser as regards manufacturing in the 21st century. I think it would be fair to say he's ignorant on everything. Uh, yeah. Have you ever heard him say, have you ever heard him make a, make a good point? Oh, that's a very, very good point, Sly. Um, uh, you know, he seems to have a lot of knowledge uh, as regards um, how to sell high school rings. And vaping. Yeah. Vaping. He's very good on vaping. Very good on vaping. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, can you imagine a ticket of him and Rebecca Clayfish? <laughs> I know. He almost kind of wants in a weird kind of way. It's, uh, it's quite the gene pool election. All right, John Nichols from the Capital Times and the Nation. Thanks for coming to Sly's office. Thank you for having me. Sly'sOffice.com. Thanks a million. Bye-bye.